Hey guys, welcome back to Unwatchable. This is Chloe, and I just wanted to make an announcement at the beginning of this episode that this is actually going to be the last episode of Unwatchable, possibly ever. I've been thinking about uh, ending this for a couple of weeks now, um, and I think just now is the right time. When I started this podcast, I wanted to give myself a creative project to work on every week consistently, uh, and my goal was to do it for a year, and we've done more than that. We've done almost a year and a half of this, and it's been super, super fun. I've learned a lot. I've gotten to talk to some incredible guests and like booked people who I never thought I would be able to book, which has been insane. And I'm honestly really, really proud of everything that we've done with this podcast. I always say we because it seems very self-indulgent to say I, but really this is like a one-man operation. And because of that, I've learned a lot. I've had to learn how to schedule and book and record and do technical stuff and edit. And this has been such a great learning experience for me, and I'm genuinely proud of a lot of the episodes that we've put out on Unwatchable, and I really hope that you guys have enjoyed listening to it. Basically, I came to this decision because uh, I have a lot of other creative projects that I've been working on. I actually have another podcast that I'm in the process of producing Um, as well as some writing projects that I've been meaning to get to. And on a personal note, my life has just gotten very busy lately. Uh, I'm in the process of moving. I've been in and out of work a lot due to the pandemic, and I finally, like, I'm back to, you know, a regular employment schedule. There's just a lot, and I realized that I was kind of pushing this podcast to the side, uh and putting things out of obligation, and I don't want to do that. I want to put out material that I'm genuinely really excited about, and so I felt the best thing to do would be to table Unwatchable for the time being while I, you know, I sort everything out. So I don't know how long I'll be gone. Uh, This might be the end of the podcast forever, and it might not be if I... I guess, want to revamp this at some point. But I just wanted to thank everybody who has uh, supported Unwatchable, everybody who's messaged me to say that they listen to it and they like it and love certain episodes and who've just given me positive feedback, anyone who's written a review, uh, signed up for Patreon. Like, that genuinely... I, I can't believe that people want to listen to things that I put out. And so uh, as much as it's been like a great creative learning experience for me, it's also been a project that's really shown me um, just how like cool and supportive and like awesome people can be. And I'm just really excited that I've had people who have wanted to uh, encourage me in my uh, creative projects. And so... I do, as I mentioned, have another podcast coming out in the next couple of months, and so uh, maybe some of you guys will want to 
listen to that one. It is a little bit different. It is revolving around television. I don't want to talk too much about it until we are closer to a solidified launch date, but I think you guys are going to love it. I'm really, really looking forward to that getting off the ground. And for today's episode, uh, the last episode of Unwatchable, I thought that it would be a good idea to kind of bookend things. At the time of recording this episode, I wasn't quite sure if it was going to be the final episode of Unwatchable, so I didn't really mention it at the time, Um, but it all worked out perfectly because the guest on today's episode uh, is actually the guest that I had on my very first ever episode of Unwatchable, so it's kind of funny how that worked out as kind of like a, a bookend. It's come full circle, um, and that guest is Ellen Beiser. She is so funny. She's a wonderful writer. She's a musician. I've talked to her a couple of times on this show, and she always gives me such great analysis and great input, and I love talking to her. So uh, I will now send you away into the last episode of Unwatchable Thank you guys so, so much from the bottom of my heart. Welcome back to Unwatchable, you guys. My name is Chloe Rodriguez. I am your host. We should just jump right in to today's podcast because I am so excited to talk about everything today. In honor of Valentine's Day this week, we are doing uh, an episode where we count down uh, a, a top 10 of television couples And to help me do that, I have a a wonderful guest. She was on my Valentine's Day episode last year. She was on my very first episode ever. It's Ellen Beiser. Hello, everybody. Thank Uh, you for having me. It's always great to have you. I I feel like you're someone who uh, likes to analyze just as much as I do, so... It's always great when I have you on, especially for these like kind of tier list type of episodes. I do love analyzing my my hobby content. It's <laughs> tis a great passion of mine to talk about it at length. Yeah, they always say to really enjoy your hobbies, you should turn them into a job. And so that's, <laughs> yeah. that's what I've done on this podcast. <laughs> Every single up. artist ever. Yeah. <laughs> Um, so because it is the month of love and because it is Valentine's Day, we wanted to take a moment to talk about those television couples that make us believe in something, make our, (laughs) our blackened, shriveled hearts start to, (laughs) I don't know. To re, re, I don't know why rebirth was the thing that came to mind. That's not what a blackened, shriveled heart does. It does not. (laughs) It does not know. It starts I to guess swell. maybe <laughs> metaphors were never my strong suit. I shouldn't have started it without knowing where it was going. To be fair, <laughs> that's on me. It's all good. You know what? 
we're exploring here. It's the exactly. process of creating. You're not we're, supposed to judge yourself. <laughs> we're exploring our feelings today on the podcast. <laughs> oh God, I'm back in, I'm back in acting school. <laughs> well, Ellen and I have each brought in our uh, top five television couples. We're going to switch off. I will give you my top five. She'll give you her top five. Uh, we're going to defend these couples to the death. And, uh, oh God. <laughs> yeah, I didn't tell you about this part. I wanted to give Should've myself brought my sword, <laughs> my flail, <laughs> my, <laughs> my mace. <laughs> um, so without further ado, I think we, we kind of have a good mix of genres on this list. I'm very excited about it. And, uh, I will start off with my fifth five out of five couple. And I think it's going to be a, a bit of a surprise to everybody because usually uh, I talk a lot about sitcom characters and comedy. Don't get me wrong, my list has a lot of that. But I'm going to kickstart this off with a very uh, a dark and dramatic show, Breaking Bad. And Hot my damn, yeah. Who knows? But I found love in Breaking Bad, and I found love. <laughs> In the form of Hank and Marie. Um, and you can too. <laughs> yes. Please watch Breaking Bad. Uh, just for the <laughs> romance of it. <laughs> if you've ever wanted to know what true, what a true romantic partnership is, yes. look at the show where a high school teacher becomes a, a, a meth seller. And it has been a while since I've watched that show. <laughs> <laughs> oh, such a good show. One of my all-time favorites. It is... I believe the only drama that I have watched all the way through. Um, so playing uh, Hank Schrader, we have Dean Norris. And playing his wife, Marie, we have Betsy Brandt. Um, what I like about this couple is uh, I like that they are two very flawed and kind of obnoxious people that maybe not a lot of people uh, would like like <laughs> Hank is indisputably like he's an asshole like he's he's an ass especially at yes. the beginning of the series uh he has like no filter he makes like off color jokes uh where kind of arrogant too isn't he he's definitely arrogant and he, there are a lot of pros to Hank. I mean, he definitely does become a, a hero as the show goes on. Um, but he is also like a very uh, a polarizing person, I believe. If you met him in real life, you wouldn't necessarily be like, that's a, a dude I'm taking home to my mom. Like, <laughs> <laughs> you wouldn't be like, this is my boyfriend, Hank. Like, you'd be like, okay, Hank, we're going in to this dinner with my parents like he comes with a warning label yeah like you would have to be like guys you're gonna meet my my boyfriend hank for the first time you're probably gonna hate him but i swear like he's a nice dude he treats me right like that's hank uh marie on the other hand uh you see a lot of hate for marie online uh she's a busybody. she's just extremely annoying and shrill she gets on people's cases she does questionable things like she goes to open houses and pretends to be 
uh, someone who she's not just to like, I don't know, play a part and get attention. Did she, she really? I do not remember that. Yeah, there's a I whole just... episode where she like, she goes to this open house and she's like, I'm a children's illustra- book illustrator or something like that. Creates a whole persona for herself. Like that's just how she spends the day. Um, I, don't, I don't know whether I hate that or admire it. <laughs> Damn, the, like, the confidence one must have to go and lie to strangers for absolutely no reason. Oh, yeah. She's extremely <laughs> confident. She uh, she also, she, like, shoplifts. She, like, she was caught stealing at a certain point in the show. Marie is also a flawed character. But together, they just, like, they get one another. And I like that they are very aware of, like, it's, it's very apparent that, like, they are annoyed with one another often, but they have such a, like, loyalty and a bond to one another. Hank will do anything to protect and defend his wife. Like, no matter how uh, pig-headed he is, like, she kind of sees through that. No matter how... Uh, uptight and annoying she is like he sees the kind of like softer part of her there's this wonderful uh scene where hank is in the hospital after being shot and he like is refusing to leave his hospital room and she starts giving him a hand job (laughs) and is like do you do you remember this part at all ellen (laughs) oh dear god um I can't say that I do, but it's really concerning that I don't. That's a pretty <laughs> memorable scenario. It's so she starts like messing around underneath his bed sheets, and he's like, "You're not gonna make anything happen, Marie. Like nothing's gonna happen." And she's like, "If I can make this happen, you're leaving this fucking hospital bed." That then, I do remember. And then actually, cut to them, <laughs> cut to them leaving the hospital. <laughs> And I love that. I think that's just so funny. Uh, I just think that they both, no matter what, uh, no matter how, uh, no matter how off-putting their personalities can be to a viewer or maybe someone who they're interacting with in the show, other characters, uh, I love that they both share that value of, you know, family. Hank treats her family like his own, treats... Skyler, like his own sister, uh, really cares for uh, Walter when he is sick, cares for their son and their daughter. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I just love that in television couples. I love when two people just like have this understanding and yeah, I see that with them. Yeah, I think there's something to be said for uh, couples that like are two horrible people who somehow find each other like like on the surface you really don't enjoy them but they do work well (laughs) together because i think we all kind of feel like we're that person once in a while Mm -hmm. i maybe i shouldn't uh, generalize but um we all hate ourselves right guys (laughs) am i right (laughs) hold on is that is that just people with depression is that just people with mental illness like me oh god uh never mind no (laughs) Um, I think we all have moments of insecurity where we're like, there's no way we're going to find, I, there's no way I'm ever going to find someone who's going to love me because I'm this, because I'm that. And when you see it, really two awful people find each other, you're like, oh, there's hope. <laughs> or at least, uh, 
at least two people who you really can't see being with anyone else. Yep. <laughs> and, and that's Hank and Marie. So that's why <laughs> I put them on my list. <laughs> oh, good for them. Good for them. <laughs> All right. You want to do uh, your number five slot? Yeah. Uh, my number five pick is Jamie and Claire from Outlander. Played Ooh, nice. by, can I remember this? Sam Hewen and uh, Katrina Balfe. Um, maybe this seems like an obvious pick to some. Maybe it seems like a like a cop out pick to others. But uh, the two of them have a really interesting dynamic in the show, uh, particularly because it's based in um, the seventeen. I mean, different uh, different decades within the 1700s, but starts in the 1740s when they meet each other. Um, I think there's just something interesting about a relationship that is remarkably equal and remarkably understanding and communicative in a century where there is absolutely no expectation for the guys to have to put in that kind of effort. Mm -hmm. It's all about like, you know, it's, it's all about transactions and marriages. It's all about uh, you know, continuing the bloodline or who's gonna, who's inheriting the the real estate that belongs to the family, continuing the name. Mm -hmm. And Jamie and Claire, like, you would think it'd be actually, it, it's really easy for a guy to kind of stand out in that time period. Because when you put Jamie, who's like a caring guy, who's always trying to listen to his wife and always singing her praises, when you put him in the middle of a bunch of other really really kind of hoarse kind of um aggressive and often not very smart guys <laughs> you put him in the middle of a, like a whole generation of the, of that kind of guy he stands out so mm -hmm. in one way it's like he's like he doesn't have to do a lot in order to stand out from all the other guys it's like if you don't rape a woman you're you've, you're golden in that period you're you're something to aspire to which is awful but he goes way beyond that to like really treat treat Claire as uh more of he does he treats her like a partner and sometimes he exercises like uh his desires and his wants in the relationship but largely he kind of defers to her and defers to her knowledge um in so many things mm -hmm. um they have like a, an actual partnership that you wouldn't expect to see from a show set in this time period. Yes. Uh, and I'm trying to remember, there was another point I was going to make, but it's gone now. So uh, <laughs> yeah, that's, I really enjoyed Jamie and Claire and I do recommend Outlander to those who are interested in a little of like historical ish drama. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it's not a hundred percent historically accurate about some things, but it's largely really, uh, really interesting. And yeah. Yeah, I'll do that. <laughs> That's really cool. I, I think it's it's really nice when you can see like like period pieces are so popular right now, mm -hmm. uh, and I think it can be so easy to buy into this idea of like being formulaic in that style, um, and so it it's nice to have that kind of show where it's like, oh, we're seeing something like different in this like we're seeing a type of relationship or a, a dynamic between characters that they could so easily have like just you know done how everyone else has done it and been successful yeah and it's really nice seeing how they 
like the events that are happening in that time period do affect this relationship like the Mm -hmm. battle of culloden like um eventually the the american civil war there's there's like huge uh historical events that affect these people's lives and it's Mm -hmm. cool to see like and because claire is from the 1940s and she goes back in time um it's interesting to see her perspective on this stuff and how well does her perspective fit in with the people who live in that time period Mm -hmm. yeah i love that that was a great one to bring in thank you what's your number four uh my number four is gonna go kind of (laughs) kind of like so far opposite to the last two we just talked about because we we just chose characters from big dramas and now i have some characters from some some large comedy and uh i'm going to talk about harry and charlotte from sex and the city uh if you guys have seen the sex and the city episode that i did with katie thompson then you know that i love me some harry and charlotte um I'm I'm looking up the name of the guy who plays Harry real quick because I don't know it off the top of my head. But <laughs> Kristen Davis plays uh, Charlotte York. Um, and throughout the whole series, Charlotte is the one who is like dead set on being married. She has like this picture book fantasy of she's going to marry like uh, a tall, dark and handsome, like rich man. They're going to get married. They're going to have a bunch of kids. and what I love about the series is that they, they give her a happy ending without actually giving her the happy ending that she has designed for herself for six seasons. Um, so Harry Goldenblatt is played by Evan Handler. Uh, he comes in in, uh, I believe, the, the fifth season, uh, and they meet when he is Charlotte's divorce attorney. So Charlotte always, like, Charlotte already had that kind of experience of getting what she wanted and uh, marrying a tall, dark and handsome guy from like a rich family. And that marriage just like completely implodes and like crumbles and she's like devastated. And Harry is someone who is completely opposite from anything that she ever thought she would have. He's like, he's unfiltered. He's bald she talks about like he's bald (laughs) he's bald and he he chews with his mouth open and he's not like classy he doesn't put on airs like but it's exactly what like charlotte needs for herself she needs someone who's gonna like loosen her up and who's just gonna like adore her and harry like loves her for her and not because you know she's a well-to-do like classy lady with a good job like he just thinks that she's fun and like hilarious. And what I really love about their relationship is that uh, we're seeing for the first time Charlotte being uh, the one who is willing to make sacrifices. She converts to Judaism for him. Um, she, you know, she's pressuring him so much. Oh, yes. I mean, I mean, you're Jewish too, so it's not a big deal. But I was like, I yes. labeling that as a sacrifice. <laughs> <laughs> oh well, not a sacrifice, but she's very um, she's very uh, uh she's like a wasp basically, um, yeah. which is like a defining part of her character. And all the guys that she dates, like she wants them to be very like uh, I guess like waspy, like for lack of a better term. 
So the fact mm-hmm. she's, that she's willing to like do that, I think is not a sacrifice for like everyone, but I think for like how we know her character to be, uh, it's like a big step. Cause that's not something she would like ever do. She sees everything kind of as like a status. So to oh, her, like okay. to her, like being part of the like, Ooh, like evangelical, like elite, I think is like kind of a status thing for her and less of a religious thing. You know you what mean I mean? My worst nightmare. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> um, and that's obviously not my personal belief, but it is like a big part of her character throughout the show. Like she's just a very like on paper, like status matters, appearance matters type of person. So uh, the fact that she'd be able to convert and she goes through a whole process of converting uh is a huge deal she like learns and it's not just the fact that uh she like chooses to convert it's also like she really embraces it so Mm -hmm. she learns how to like cook a whole like seder and she learns all of the prayers she like really takes it seriously Um, now i just want brisket (laughs) (laughs) like she really really enjoys doing that for him and also they break up because she's pressuring him to propose and he can't handle it and then she decides, like, like during their breakup, she decides that, like, she doesn't even need marriage. Like, she just wants to be with him, uh, which is also a huge thing for her. For her. Um, I mean, they do get married eventually, but just the fact that, like, she is changed so much by him and kind of has to pursue him in a way is very big. I think just for female characters in general, because I think there's usually this, like... Uh, the guy is the one who's like obsessed with this girl and has to like win her over. And like that kind of like toxic storyline that we see all the time. Uh, I like that we're showing like, no, like we're showing like a woman who is also willing to like do something for someone she loves. And I think usually it's kind of the other way around of like the guy making grand gestures. So Mm -hmm. I like that. I have to I have to counter you at this point with something because yes. there's something I've read about recently, which is um, most romantic stories are uh, labeled as like they're like chick flicks, mm-hmm. you know they're 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 for women they're for and um, like you know they're not they're not for the enjoyment of men um, mm-hmm. and they're looked looked down on a lot of the time. Mm-hmm. Um, I was reading this, we're going to pretend it was an article, but it was probably a Tumblr post uh, about <laughs> the reason the reason women tend to enjoy romantic stories is because for once in that story, the woman in the relationship is the one, or I should say the man in the relationship is the one who is making concessions for the woman. They are, they are, they are performing the role that women are generally expected to perform for mm-hmm. men all the time in real life. Um, part- particularly, I, I would guess, in American society more so than maybe necessarily others. But mm-hmm. uh, there's, this, there's this kind of cathartic um, release in watching a story where, you know, for once, th- the guy is the one who is um, helping and... Uh, supporting the passions of the woman mm-hmm. so while well, i see what you're saying about um i'm s- totally forgetting it, about harry and charlotte mm-hmm. um 
I would challenge you <laughs> back in acting class. I would challenge you to think about uh, rather than seeing it as a toxic storyline, it's more of a fantasy sort storyline because in reality, most of the time it's the other way around. I, I do agree, but I also, I would say that it's toxic in the sense that I think it puts a lot of, I mean, for lack of a better term, I feel like it puts a lot of the agency on the man to be the one who's dictating the relationship. Uh, I mean, we could make a whole podcast where we debate this, I'm sure. <laughs> but but I, I love that you've like taken this in this direction because I think it's so important when we're thinking about romance of like, well, what, what kind of romances do we like to see? What does that necessarily mean? I would argue that for me personally, uh, a, I just kind of get sick of, like, the bullet points of it being like, and this girl wasn't really sure that much, but he, like, he wore her down by, like, yeah. constantly <laughs> pursuing her. I don't like that as much. But also, I, I just think, uh, I just think it, it tends to put a lot of the agency on the, the man to be the one who's, like, dictating the relationship, and it almost to me puts that kind of pressure on the female character to be like, well, this guy's like doing all this shit for me. So like, that's how I know he's the one. Whereas mm -hmm. like in real life, I think there's more of a, of a balance and more of a give and take between the two. And so I like couples on television where you can see like them each getting something from the other person. And it, it's more of a whole as opposed to like one person being the giver. Yes. I 100% I agree with that. Like, I think the best kinds of relationships, both in real life and on television, are ones where it is more or less an equal trade-off, mm -hmm. um, where both people are um, making concessions for the other person uh, when and just prioritizing their needs with their partner's needs and not always putting one above the other. Absolutely, we, I'm there with you. We, should we turn this into, like, a relationship advice? <laughs> podcast because we're really good guys write in if, if your you man <laughs> isn't giving you what you need you need to dump his ass girl i you need, need to, to like straight up kick drop kick him into the next zip code please that's gonna be yeah. our that's gonna be our advice to everyone <laughs> you're gonna be like i'm terrible at remembering my boyfriend's birthday what should i do to celebrate him we're gonna be like you dump his ass is how you celebrate that's right you write him a notarized letter bitch you <laughs> oh get your fucking shit out of my apartment i'm taking over <laughs> If you have conflict at any point in time, that means you need to go, girl. <laughs> yes. Just have weird, like, jazzy ASMR <laughs> nonsense in the background. Welcome back to the Dump His Ass podcast with Ellen and Chloe. <laughs> we solve all of your problems with a singular piece of advice. Dump his fucking ass out onto the streets. Here's your host. <laughs> Oh my god. <laughs> Honestly, great new podcast. Yeah, very there's a, there's a very evil part of me who's like do it. Do it. <laughs> oh my gosh. Well, we just got on a, a whole tangent. I think we're ready, ready to move on from Harry and Charlotte. Back, uh <laughs> back to the list. 
<laughs> um, coming in at my number four, I've got, and this surprised me, uh, <laughs> uh, Snow White and Prince Charming from Once Upon a Time. Played Ooh. by, oh, I can do this, Jennifer Goodwin. Yes, I get Jennifer Goodwin and Jennifer Morrison mixed up in my head. It's Jennifer Goodwin and Josh Dallas. Um, and this is one that I don't know whether it's necessarily, in terms of like a real healthy gen- relationship, I don't know that it's necessarily in that category. Mm-hmm. This is one that's on the list because of this, this um, inexplicable phenomena that I experience where I watch the two of them yelling very dramatically um i will always find you at one another and uh it makes me scrunch my face into my pillow to like <laughs> mother the cuteness butterflies that are welling up inside me mm-hmm. <laughs> i don't know where it comes from but the two of them like i just thought they had really nice chemistry and a really good banter um i think overall the show the show is very it's very cheesy but it's a kind of cheese I can get behind, like Gouda. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and I, I, and it helps that the two actors, you know, th- that the chemistry was palpable enough on set that eventually they did get married in real life and now they have kids and now they have a life together. And I'm like, that's incredible. That's so cute. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, I'm really here for Snow, Snow White, Prince Charming, um, mm-hmm. melodramatic antics. Which is great because we did not get that in the Disney movie. Uh, hello. We super did not. They didn't have a single conversation. Hello. No, they did not. <laughs> <laughs> nice to see it. You're just like, oh, you're the only woman in 10,000 miles who was not my stepmother? Perfect. Let's bone. <laughs> he was literally like, damn, I wish I could get laid. And then he walks by and there's this sleeping woman like on a pedestal. And he's like, toy. Like, she's literally just offered up to me oh, God. <laughs> in this glass box like a delicious macaron. <laughs> <laughs> we're gonna have ourselves a bite of this sandwich (laughs) your god that story is so creepy (laughs) she does become conscious let's (laughs) she does kiss her into consciousness yeah somebody told me i don't know whether this is real because i haven't read the hans christian anderson story myself but that Mm -hmm. in the original story actually he does have sex with her while she's asleep and what wakes her up is not the kiss, it's giving birth to a child. I think I, like, oh my god, I think this is true! Like, now that I, I just had, like, this real, like, you unlocked a part of my brain. I've been lo- Years of therapy is for me to lock over up. It in the corner. I was like, well, let's not think about that ever again. <laughs> Ellen just put it in the spotlight. I just really want to destroy all your nostalgic feelings for anything. Um, I live to destroy the myths of childhood. Uh, anything else to add about that couple before I... Uh, nah, you go. Tell in? me. What's your number three? We have Hal and Lois, the parents for Malcolm in the Middle, played by Brian Cranston and Jane Kaczmarek. Uh This is the craziest... Uh, 
sitcom parenting couple I personally think I've ever seen because they are both such, uh, just have their own like set of crazy neuroses. Uh, and I, they are so codependent. They're so like sexually charged, but they're also like so in love. Like everything with these characters is just like <laughs> to the extreme. Um, Hal is somebody who just gets deeply invested and obsessed with the craziest things. There's an episode where he gets uh, addicted to steamrolling things. He, there's an episode. There's an like episode with a steamroller. Yes, like he rents a steamroller. <laughs> Not just like as a man with entitlement. <laughs> no, a literal steamroller. <laughs> there's an episode where he becomes obsessed with the idea of owning a pair of moon boots. And he keeps having these, like, crazy fantasies where he owns moon boots and he can, like, trampoline to, like... <laughs> like I have to out. watch this fucking show now. <laughs> it's so good. It's on Hulu. <laughs> uh, there's an episode where he gets obsessed with Dance Dance Revolution and, like, joins a competitive, like, Dance Dance Revolution team. <laughs> um, and Lois, like, is... <laughs> not an enabler but is like okay if you're gonna do this shit like this is how you have to do it responsibly like she keeps a t an eye on him uh lois is a extremely uptight like control freak can never be wrong about anything it has like a very strict set of morals and values has like a a huge like just temper like prone to like just these angry outbursts but they are what each other needs he needs somebody to control him she needs somebody who absolutely worships her and like they are so freaking in love despite being together for like probably by the end of the series i think they're they've been together for like 25 years or something Damn. um there's just too many great scenes for me to pick out between the two of them. Uh, but I think the one that really shows me like why they need each other is in this episode where Lois gets this traffic ticket and she is convinced that like she got this ticket because uh, at the store she works at, this cop came in and he was trying to get stuff for free and she charged him for it. And she's convinced that, that was the cop who pulled her over. She's convinced that he's doing it out of retaliation. Uh, and they find this security footage that proves that she is wrong and she cannot nope. admit it. And there's this <laughs> wonderful scene. There's this wonderful scene between her and Hal where he's just like, you have never been wrong before, like ever. I've never <laughs> doubted you for a second. But you cannot argue with this tape. Like you just need... To like let this control go and she like he gets her to admit that she's wrong and it's like the most incredible thing for like her character to ever do and like that is why they need each other and oh, that sounds so sweet it's a very sweet scene and so as crazy as these characters are like they do like have some beautiful scenes together and honestly, like, this is one of those sitcoms where like the parents are the funniest part of the show like <laughs> But usually it's, like, the kids, and the parents are there to, like, not make it fun. Uh, so I love that that's what you get from Malcolm in the Middle, and uh, that's why they're on my list. Yeah, I support that. <laughs> I can get behind that. I can get behind that. Couple that loves each other. 
Shoot. I'm sold. <laughs> yeah. All right. So uh, you're, what's on your top three? Um, okay. Coming in at number three, I've got a, I've got a tie. Um, this is between Lorelai and Luke of Gilmore Girls, um, played by, fuck me, Lauren Graham and, oh God, I've forgotten. I'm going to stop naming actors' names because it, it's are we, just- Are we going to go to the, to the Google machine? It's Scott something, I think. Luke from Gilmore Girls is played by Scott Patterson. Scott Patterson. That's what it is. Okay. Yup. There it is. So Lauren- <laughs> Lauren Graham and Scott Patterson versus uh, my other pairing is Jake and Amy from Brooklyn Nine-Nine, played by, of course, Andy Samberg and Melissa Melissa Fumero. Fumero. (laughs) I'm like, picture the opening credit. (laughs) Seared into your brain. She does a gunpoint (laughs) thing. You know what her name is. These Uh, are very solid choices. Thank you. Uh, I'll I'll talk a little less about Lorelai and Luke, I think, because that's one that... I think a really solid slow burn relationship. Um, first of all, the personality, the difference in their personalities is what really does it for me mm-hmm. because he's such a grump. He's such an old man in a young body. And, <laughs> uh, and by comparison, Lorelai is uh, just, is almost like still 16 in a 30 year old body. Mm-hmm. They're, they're just such opposite ends of the spectrum, but that makes them, really complement each other well mm-hmm. um both of them have been known to like drop everything that they're doing because the other person is having a crisis particularly mm-hmm. luke i will say it happens a lot more that luke drops everything to go help lorelei than the other <laughs> way around but it happens enough that i that lorelei comes to him that i'm cool with it uh-huh. um <laughs> And it's something, yeah, it was, it's a relationship that, like, yeah, it takes four seasons to manifest, but uh, that whole four seasons is just, it's, like, you see that they kind of need to ha- go on their own journeys and figure out some stuff outside of what their relationship is to each other in order to finally come together and have a really solid relationship from there on out, except for when they do break up towards the end of the show and then <laughs> season seven is kind of a really weird amalgamation of stories. I, I don't know. But, is that uh, the one that's like the year after or not the year after the, the, the no, one that year they in made life. on Netflix? Yeah. Yeah. Year in the life. So not to like, sorry, total spoilers for anyone who has not <laughs> seen this, but uh, you know, I'm sorry. It came you out. had your chance. You had your chance. <laughs> uh, <laughs> they get together for, I believe it is season five through most of season six mm-hmm. and then they break up because of, of because of uh Lorelai's parents putting pressure on uh Luke to be someone that he's not and a mm-hmm. bunch of other things like that like a lot of insecurities bubble up and then mm-hmm. season seven they are not together but they are still having moments where they're like helping each other out or they're like seeing one another and they're like not entirely sure about how to behave eventually they become friends again uh by the end of season seven it's not, it, it, there's insinuation, I believe, that they get together again. And this was the last season at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, but it wasn't concrete. Then you jump forward, you know, I don't know, 15, 16 years to Gilmore Girls A Year in the Life. Um, and they are together. They're living together. They're not hey. married. And that's kind of a point of contention, but not a huge point of contention. But yeah, mm-hmm. they're, 
they're they're living together and they're committed to one another and they still are as far as canon is concerned Woo! um on the flip side because i know you can also talk about this is jake and amy Woo! uh fuck yeah um <laughs> i think in terms of like trade-off like we were talking about about you know making concessions for your partner these mm-hmm. two have it nailed at yes. this point there is so much give and take between the two of them and i i just make noises because they're so cute i had a lizard <laughs> tongue just I, shot I out was possessed, of i was possessed by <laughs> by the monster that like lives huddled under blankets in my bed and only eats popcorn ellen is a lizard person confirmed it's, surprise <laughs> Surprise, motherfuckers! I only do one thing now in quarantine, and it is do- it is this. Um, no, but the two of them, like, they just are constantly trying to be respectful of one another, one another's uh, issues and families, mm-hmm. um, and they're just very supportive. Uh, particularly after they get married, it's just I just love Jake and Amy so much. I think it's one of the best. <laughs> fucking relationships ever been written especially between two people who again are very very different and they managed to find common ground yeah something i noticed about uh both of these picks for your your third slot is that they are both couples that have a solid foundation of friendship to start with and they are both couples where uh they have like kind of opposite personalities that blend together very well to balance each other out. Yes. Um, and I think in real life, that's like how some of the best relationships are. 100%. My, my dream is to marry my best friend, honestly. It, it's, mm-hmm. it's awkward now because, you know, all of my best friends are women or related to me, which is not <laughs> a problem except that they're also committed in other relationships. So um, being re- well, actually, being being related, related to you. Is, <laughs> I would like to apologize to everyone (laughs) but particularly former president barack obama i don't know why (laughs) but i feel like if anybody can absolve me of this it's probably that man you're gonna get a full party (laughs) maybe i I should be appealing to biden maybe that's what i should be doing i I hope she catches that because i I'm gonna go crawl into the blankets now oh and pretend God. that I don't exist. It's not a problem. <laughs> you come on in here. You have a good time. Oh my God. Sweet mother of God. Ellen, you are just on one today. <laughs> I I didn't drink before the show, I swear. It's 11.30 in the morning. <laughs> Fuck oh my god oh okay i was i'll spare you by moving on to my oh, thanks second uh my, <laughs> my second slot goes to someone who i know uh i know that this couple was a, a contender for your list didn't make it all the way on there but i put them on mine uh and i'm talking about jack and rebecca from this is us uh, played by Mandy Moore, and I'm going to butcher his last name probably, Milo Ventimiglia. Ventimiglia. Ventimiglia, okay. Yeah. I knew I was going to, I've 
I it's okay. We've all done it. <laughs> I always read his name, but I've never yes. had to say it out loud. So I'm like, ah, <laughs> but, <Exactly. laughs> uh, but this is uh, Jack and Rebecca. You guys know, I love the show. This is us. Uh, it's totally not something it, that I would particularly watch. Usually uh, it's, it is a drama and it is a highly emotional show. Um, oh yeah which is usually not in my wheelhouse, but I just think the writing is fantastic. Really, I, though. I do, and I, I love that it jumps between timelines, um, and that's really why Jack and Rebecca made it to my list, because we get to see so much of their history together. Um, we get to jump around between these different time periods of their life, and we see when they first meet, and each season kind of focuses on a different time period in flashbacks. So in the first season, we kind of get their life together um, when their kids are like a little bit younger and we kind of see them going through like a rough patch. Uh, We see like in the first two seasons, like them really struggling with Jack's alcoholism. There's this like blowout fight at the end of season one that's just like, They just say like these horrible things to each other. And it's like this huge dramatic fight, which by the way, some of the best acting uh, on that show is in that scene, I believe. Um, But we also get to see them make up and like see them still be committed to their marriage over and over again. We get to see these flashbacks where they first meet and she's like from this kind of like nice like country club family. And he's this like mechanic who just got back from the war and he doesn't really have his life together and his family situation is not the best. Um, So we kind of see how they grow like in their understanding of one another that way. Um, And I also like that they both make these big sacrifices for the sake of their family. Rebecca, uh, you know, could have had this big, like revamp in her singing career. She's supposed to go on tour uh, and it's just not, it's putting too much strain on her marriage and she decides to focus on that and like stop pursuing singing. We see Jack put like this dream business that he's always wanted to have on hold so that he can get a good paying job for their three kids. Um, So I think we're getting like these realistic insights into like what it really like, what it really takes to choose your marriage and to have these sacrifices uh, that you each make for the betterment of your family. And uh, that's, that's why I really love this like story of Jack and Rebecca. Yeah. They also just, they have really nice chemistry from the get go in terms of Mm -hmm. sort of a quiet acceptance of one another. Mm -hmm. Um. And it's nice because like neither of them have these huge personalities really it's mm-hmm. not, uh, I mean, Jack is, like, kind of a soft-spoken guy. Like, he does make a lot of speeches about how much he loves Rebecca, but, like, he's not, he's not, like, a flashy dude at all. No, he's not, like, a big, grand, romantic gesture kind of person. He's just, he shows up, mm-hmm. which is, at the end of the day, what you need the most is someone who just is, like, is every day, you know, showing their commitment to mm-hmm. that relationship. Um, and and likewise, like Rebecca's not like a Rebecca's not like a self-centered person. I mean, she likes to perform, she loves to sing, 
but she's not like an over the top, like dramatic kind of like artist type either. Like they're both mm-hmm. very grounded people uh, and both choose their family like over anything else, which uh, I love, love that they have that in common. And I think that's what makes them work. So. Yeah, agreed. While we're here, I am going to give a quick honorable mention because they didn't make my list, but Randall and Beth are also on my list from This Is Us. Yeah, they Possibly. are great. Uh, I just wanted to... Anyway. Great um, couples on great the show. Couples. If you on. guys have not seen This Is Us, uh, I highly recommend it. And there, there is some, not only some great acting, there's some great writing on that show. And if you love romance you're gonna love this is us yeah what always astounds me is that about that show is their ability to like they're juggling like six storylines an episode mm-hmm. and they're doing it in a way that like like my mom has trouble following it sometimes but i'm always like oh i know where we are and mm-hmm. i know where we are in time in terms of like all of the elements that go into helping you establish right away where we are in the this is us timeline mm-hmm. um I think it's all just, I think it's just brilliantly written. Fantastique. Chef's kiss. Yes. I apologize for all the French stereotypes I've done this episode. I'm going to stop. I have uh, a lot of French <laughs> listeners and oh, I'm about God. to lose them oh. all. <laughs> <laughs> um, let's see. We're, we're at number two. Yes. Coming in at number two, I've got um, Chuck and Sarah from Chuck. Uh, I just watched the pilot for Chuck. Oh, did like, you really? What'd you think? It was great. <laughs> I was like, I was like, that's Zach Levi. Like, I know, right? He looks so different now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's weird. And like, I think for first two seasons of that show, they've got him stuck with like a very, I don't know decades very well, but I'm assuming seventies haircut, kind of with like big sideburns, and he's kind of like he's got. A curly head of hair, but it's kind of like smushed down all the time. Like it's not the best. Cap. It's not the best, <laughs> um, but it's also not supposed to be because he's not. They don't, he's not really like a romantic lead at the beginning. Um, I would not. There's, there's I would not have believed it was him if I couldn't hear Flynn Ryder. Uh, um, yeah. yeah. Anyway, I'm sorry. I totally. No, you're good. Um, <laughs> I just think like the check. Check and Sarah was another kind of slow burn that I really enjoyed while I was watching it like it I think I actually enjoyed it more the second time I went through the show because the first time I was kind of like it kind of seems like she's like I I don't really get why she's into Chuck like I I'm into Chuck I get why I'm into Chuck (laughs) but like I didn't understand why that character would be into him Uh Uh, and then uh, watching it through the second time I guess what I really enjoy is that they've kind they've They've swapped traditional gender roles, which already I'm like, love it. Um, but he also is like, he's special, but he's not. He's just a guy and he's kind of trying to do the best with what he has. And uh, like this, you know, the intersect thing that he inherits while, you know, it makes him a special asset in the eyes of, you know, government agencies and other spies and whatnot. Mm-hmm. It doesn't change who Chuck is, which is, you know, an awkward, um, an awkward computer store employee who's kind of just trying to, like, find somebody to be with and trying to find a way out of the career that he's in. Mm-hmm. 
Um, and over the course of the series, he he's able to get her to open up and be a lot less, um, let's see, a, a lot less femme fatale and a mm-hmm. lot a lot more of like a real person with a past and with wants and desires outside of her work. Uh, the two of them again have really good chemistry. They just, like they're just on screen. It sizzles. <laughs> <laughs> sizzles. <laughs> sizzles. <laughs> what what is the thing that lives inside me that makes these noises i'll never I, know i hope people think that we're as funny as like we think we are because like <laughs> you are cracking me up today but also like i'm cracking myself up today <laughs> i'm just picturing somebody's listening to me like what's so fun she's just making noises it's really does she need help Sometimes all you need is a noise. Thumbs up. Oh my god! Beautiful. Uh, So yeah, that's my that's my number two. Chuck and Sarah. I love it. Very Um, exciting series. Before I reveal my number one, I have to say. It was extremely hard for me to narrow down this list, and we obviously of course we did it for time's sake, uh, so that this podcast would not be like fifteen hours long. But uh, I did want to mention a few honorable mentions that I did not go into detail uh, on, but I personally love. Um, I did have Lily and Marshall Erickson from How I Met Your Mother on this list. Uh, I chose not to talk about them because uh, once this is released, uh, you guys will know, I just did an episode called uh, When How I Met Your Mother Became Unwatchable. Uh, If you're listening to this podcast now, that episode should already be up. But I really go into How I Met Your Mother in that episode, so I did not want to focus on those characters today. Uh, you can listen to that episode for more details. Yeah. Um, Similarly, I also had Greg and Rebecca from Crazy Ex-Girlfriend on my list, and I was like, I'm not going to put that in my top five because we've already mm-hmm. talked so much about them. Yes. <laughs> if you guys want to listen to last year's Valentine's Day episode, Ellen and I talked all about Crazy Ex-Girlfriend. Um, I also had uh, Andy and April from Parks and Rec on this list. I had uh, Fran Fine and Max Sheffield from The Nanny on this list. <laughs> um, I also, <laughs> I did have Holly and Michael and Jim and Pam from The Office. However, I chose not to talk about them, A, because uh, I did an episode all about The Office when The Office became unwatchable. Quick plug. I love that episode. You guys should listen to it. But also, uh, I have a very special episode planned to come out in the next few months where uh, I I break down a lot of couples from The Office. There may or may not be a debate involved as to which couple from The Office is the all-time best. That will be coming out sometime this year. I'm not exactly sure when. I've had it planned for a while. Uh, but we will go more into depth in that episode. About who knows when anything's happening this year? Yeah, who knows? It, it'll happen eventually. <laughs> Calm your tits. Uh, it'll be okay. <laughs> Calm down. It's coming. Uh, Just trust me on this one. Um, real quick, I have to interject with the Jim and Pam thing because I do think their relationship is very cute. I'm, uh, but what pisses me off is like if you log on to any dating app Mm -hmm. there are every fifth guy 
has a, has a thing in their bio just being like, I'm looking for the Pam to my gym. And I'm like, you assholes. No, you're not. <laughs> you're doing that because women are looking for the gym to their Pam. And it's no, you're not. Every like, guy wants to be Jim. They want to be the guy everyone thinks is tall and cool and can look at the camera. Like, we get it. Okay. Find yourself a man who looks at the camera. Yeah, yeah. In the middle of your conversations, just turns and is like, "Can you believe this guy?" <laughs> and it's like, who, "Babe, who are you talking to?" You know what we do need to find is a Bob Vance to. Uh, I need to find a Bob Vance to my Phyllis. Bob Vance. Bob Vance. Vance refrigeration. They Bob oh, and yeah, Bob and yeah, Phyllis yeah. are a great couple. They're my favorite couple on the office. <laughs> You know what? We're not here to spoiler talk. alert for that episode in the in the dis- near uh, to distant well, future. Th- that won't spoil anything. Don't worry. Oh, okay, great. <laughs> it, Good. We got to save your content. It will not affect anything. Uh, were there any honorable mentions you want to throw out real quick before I reveal sure. my my top um, one? I had Logan and Veronica from Veronica Mars purely for the uh, butterfly factor, and not at all because they have a healthy relationship in any way. <laughs> um, Let's see. Uh, there's a couple of like, like full shows that like all of the all of the relationships e- interest me equally, mm-hmm. like Sense Eight and uh, Sex Education, and Shira, the Princesses of Power, the new reboot. All like all of them do really well I because that. I can't single out one couple from any of those shows that I like more than the rest. Um, let's see, other people, Randall and Beth, I said, Jimmy and Claire. Oh my god. Oh, I had Fitzsimmons down. (laughs) My cat, my cat is crawling. Your cat wants to enter the conversation. Your cat has some, has some shit to say about (laughs) She-Ra. You, you talking about (laughs) She-Ra? Um... I shout out to Fitzsimmons and Peter and Olivia. Fitzsimmons from Agents of Shield and Peter and Olivia from uh, Fringe, which were both shows that I remember having the butterflies for. And then I re I watched some clips in preparation to see mm-hmm. if that they if they would make that top five, and they super did not. <laughs> <laughs> I hey, you know what? I just watched Fringe for the first time. Oh yeah, not That's all the feel. way through. Um, so my my boyfriend is very into like sci-fi and like fringe and psych and he's the one who showed me the pilot for uh chuck so he's introducing me to all these shows and uh fringe is fun i like it it's a really good show Watched a couple and, episodes together yeah and i i, I do th- it's it's absolutely worthwhile um it's so cool so yeah those are my those, those are my honorable mentions <laughs> Amazing. I don't um, know what I'm doing with my face. <laughs> I'm just pinching my cheeks Ellen to like. Stretchy. I'm just. It's like I'm. I'm grandmothering my own face as if this feels good. It doesn't. <laughs> now you're just showing off hurts. that elasticity. <laughs> ah. Oh, I, I also forgot uh, Patrick and David from Schitt's Creek. They were also oh, yeah. honorable mention. Uh, I, haven't even watched i've watched like maybe maybe seven episodes of that show and already they were a contender for top five oh, based so off good. of like the two scenes i saw with them and i was like yes amazing yes. um but i i decided to go with a couple that i don't think will really surprise anyone uh <laughs> that is 
uh, Ben Wyatt and Leslie Nope from Parks and Recreation, played <laughs> by Adam Scott and Amy Poehler, respectively. Uh, when I when I think of Ben and Leslie, what makes them my favorite couple is I think the fact that they are both so wholly themselves with one another and they are so incredibly supportive of one another. I think each one uh, sees the other person for how valuable they are. Uh, Leslie Nope is such a strong character. She's someone who is so, uh, so ambitious, so convinced that they are right when they are on a mission to do something. She is someone who will sacrifice for her friends. She will sacrifice for the good of the people. Uh, and she is in a job that is so often uh, underappreciated. She's someone who's so overlooked. Other people get the glory from what she puts into her job. And Ben is someone who really recognizes and sees everything that she does. Um, and he thinks that she's deserving of nothing but good. Um, and simultaneously, I think as like nerdy as Ben is, I think Leslie loves that about him. She's <laughs> she might not understand everything that he loves, like claymation or the cones of Dunshire. <laughs> but she but tries she, to. Yeah, but she tries to support him and she's on board and she's like, I don't get it, but other people seem to enjoy this. So like, <laughs> I support you 100%. I love that. I think so often when you are with somebody with similar ambitions. These are two politicians who kind of want the same things for their careers. Um, I think it can be so easy to turn that into something competitive, um, or it can be very easy to feel resentful of one another. Mm -hmm. Kind of the same situation when you are a writer dating another writer or like an actor with another actor. If you're in the same field as somebody that you're with, it can be really hard to watch them be successful when you feel like you are not or to enjoy your success while they are struggling. Um, and you don't really see that as much with Ben and Leslie because they're so supportive of one another. Um, the scene that I always think of is in the final episode of Parks and Recreation where Ben and Leslie have been trying to decide this whole time, like, which one of us is going to run for governor? They've each been given this opportunity and they decide like, well, let's have a big party with all of our friends. And then like, we'll kind of like weigh it out and we'll see what we want to do after that. And then in the middle of the party, Ben announces Leslie is running for governor and just like gives that up for her. And that look that she gives him of just like such appreciation and like acknowledgement of his sacrifice I just always think of that moment. Um, and that's a moment that you see a lot of throughout the show. Ben is always so willing to give things to Leslie because he genuinely believes that like she deserves them and vice versa. Mm -hmm. um, and so... And I think he also recognizes like how much people need what she has to offer. And he's trying really hard to get people to see that. That like... Mm -hmm if there's going to be a future president of the United States, it should be this woman. And he's like, yes. look at her. Pres like, <laughs> <laughs> and, 
I forget. Oh, it's that that Will Smith uh, meme where he's you know just like arms out like to the <laughs> yeah. side, just like really intensely like look at her, she's amazing. <laughs> yeah, that's how that's how Ben is with Leslie, and Leslie is equally like in support of Ben. She's always like, oh, you would be great at this. You would you should go for this. Like when he's like struggling, he he's like in and out of jobs a lot throughout the series. And every time she encourages him to go for, like, a dream of his. Like, don't settle for that stupid accounting job. <laughs> she, always, <laughs> she always encourages him to, like, try a new dream. Um, and I think that's just so important for the both of them because they're so ambitious. Uh, and could easily be people who try to step over one another or try to step over other people because that seems to be the way that politics works. Uh, and they, they won't allow that. They, they hold each other accountable. So. Mm. Also one of the most like, surprising and adorable proposals in history. Yes. Just... And, I, and they're obsessed with each other's butts. <laughs> and they're obsessed with each other's butts. And that's love. That's, <laughs> as all Michael Schur characters are. Yep. <laughs> uh, Michael Schur does an amazing job of writing romance. He does. I'm... I'm mad, honestly. I, I'm like, how do I, how do you, how do, how can we? <laughs> can you write my love story, please? <laughs> can you alter reality for my benefit, please? Honestly, like, this is so novel we're talking about today, but I think if I was going to have anybody write, like, Let's say I'm like a character in it. Let's say the, that the world is the Matrix and we're all living in a simulation. Okay, like, gotcha. Ah, Go on. Uh, <laughs> if that's the case, I want my simulation to be written by Michael Shore. <laughs> I would yeah. like to be a character in his show, please. Please. Because <laughs> I'll probably find the love of my life and it'll be adorable. <laughs> And even if you're not the main character, you still you still will get a meaningful relationship. It just won't be on screen. It'll be. It'll. I'll still have some great zingers. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you'll still be. You'll still be a large portion of the audience's favorite. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, okay. Drum roll. For Ellen's number one. Uh, my number one is Fleabag and the Priest from Fleabag. What? No. Um, <laughs> this is the big reveal that everybody's been waiting for this year. It's like the, it's like the Oscars, but better. They don't even sound like real names because <laughs> <laughs> no, they're not. They're that's one of the interesting things about that show is that most of the characters don't have a name. Um, that like if you, I I bought the scripts for the show and all of them are written. It's like Fleabag, stepmother, dad, priest. Um, I think for a while he might have even been like hot priest in the, or there's hot misogynist, there's um, bus rodent, there's like, I love, I love the character names for this. Anyway, um, Fleabag is one of those shows that the first time I watched it, I was like, I don't, why? Like, she's just a horrible person. Like, I don't get it. Why? And then as it went on and I rewatched it, uh, especially getting into the second season, I was like, this is brilliant. This is just, it's, it's very raw. It's very um, unfiltered thoughts. And it's about, you know, a woman who um, gives into her base impulses a lot of the time 
regardless of uh, how it affects her or her family or the people around her, mm-hmm. um, which is not a good thing. Like that's not, it's, you're not supposed to want to be her. The, it's sort of, it's just kind of an exploration of a type of character we don't get to see very much of. Mm-hmm. Um, I remember listening to Phoebe Waller-Bridge talk about writing the character and how she, you know, was uh, relatively fresh out of acting school and like all the parts she were getting, she was getting were so vapid and uh, not particularly interesting and just like, but she also couldn't, they were like, you're not pretty enough to be like the leading lady. Mm-hmm. Like they were, te- they were telling Phoebe Waller-Bridge who like, come on, come on. <laughs> That's Hollywood, baby. That's, that's Hollywood, apparently, even in the UK. So <laughs> uh, so she decided she wanted to write something that she would have fun performing. So she wrote this She wrote this god-awful human being and then started to peel back the layers to see what that what the character of Fleabag was about and what she needed. And so you've got this horrible, awful woman who falls in love with this a priest of all people which you know phoebe waller bridge says like i i didn't want to do that originally because i thought it was too obvious and i was like how is that obvious how is that (laughs) obvious to anyone but you um and he like he's just this he's this guy who is religious in a very genuine way because i think i i i know a lot of people who are religious in what feels to me like a very superficial way Mm -hmm. um or a, a performative way sometimes. Uh, and I think a lot of religious characters on TV are like that, mm-hmm. uh, which is not very fair to, well, those religions and the people who practice them. Um, mm-hmm. So he's someone who really does believe, like, it's in his best interest to, like, help other people. And... But he's also not like, he's not uppity about it. He's not like, well, you're, if you don't believe in this, you're going to go to hell or something. Like, he's not trying to force it on anybody else. He's just really trying to listen and understand this woman who deflects everything. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think maybe the most interesting part of the show, because Fleabag does all these asides to camera, like that's her, that's her gimmick. She um, is constantly talking to the camera like you're her best friend, but only she knows about you. Um, and he sees her whenever she turns to the camera to address them. Like, he, he, he is so in tune with who she is that he's, he manages to pick up on this thing that nobody else in the series picks up on. Mm-hmm. And it freaks her out. Um, and I just think, like, their conversations, they're soft. They're not, you know, big, grandiose... Um, realizations or epiphanies they're just kind of they're just listening and understanding one another and I think it's really simple and sweet and the fact that you know spoiler alert again they don't get together at the end mm-hmm. that they realize like oh, like us getting together is just gonna lead to chaos and bloodshed <laughs> <laughs> um, and it's gonna destroy both of our both of our dreams and so we need to f- we need to end this it's a really beautiful way to look at it i think because it was not that that relationship was destined to fail it's that it was destined to teach them something even if it wasn't meant to be quote unquote Mm -hmm. like those relationships are still important in our lives 
where we learn something from them, even if we they don't end up being the end all be all. Mm-hmm. So that's my in depth analysis of the oh. bag and the priest. <laughs> I love it. I think that's fantastic. I, I like that we're ending on a couple that doesn't have this like and like they're together forever now, like happily ever after. Yeah, they don't have that, which I think is. Uh, I think that's great. I. Nothing gets me more in a TV show like a good, I love a good uh, fight scene, like an argument scene between couples. Mm -hmm. And I love a good breakup scene just because um, I think there's something more cathartic about that as a viewer than just a like, oh, like how they're so happy and like they're getting married or whatever. I think like that's something that you need sometimes as a viewer is to be able to like see something fall apart on screen and just have that moment to be like so like pull the emotions from your own personal experience and like apply it to what yeah. you're watching. Um, and so I, I love that we're ending on a couple that's like kind of messy um, because you like you can have a great relationship or you can like a relationship can be meaningful without having that happily ever after. And I, I love that you included that in there. Yeah, because that's like, oh, most relationships are not happily ever afters. It's not, it's, it's, it's something, I understand why we all strive for it, but it's not something, like if you're not enjoying the journey, if you're just thinking about the ending, mm-hmm. you're never going to get there. <laughs> um, <laughs> and most, most really, yeah, most people don't know what happily ever after feels like because it doesn't exist. It's, oh, we're happy now, and eventually we won't be, and hopefully we will get to a place where we are happy again, and it's going to be a roller coaster for the rest of your life. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's a fun one, as I, I can imagine. It's funny that you've <laughs> now asked me to be on two podcast episodes where we talk almost exclusively about love and relationships, and you've asked someone who has never been in, <laughs> in, a, in a long-term or any kind of relationship. And that doesn't mean you don't have any insight. It does not. I, <laughs> I was talking to a different friend about this recently, and uh, I, 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 I try to come at things from understanding that, like, I have not been in it, but I have observed quite a bit, mm-hmm. and I have come to some conclusions, and I like to share them in case they are useful to anybody else. <laughs> so, if you guys, <laughs> so if you guys want us to start the Dump His Ass podcast, <laughs> Ellen, <laughs> sounds like she's ready to go all right yes it'll be like dump his ass there will be time for more it'll just it'll be constant mixed messages now (laughs) yeah um this was super super fun i yeah thank you for having me i think we descended into uh quarantine madness (laughs) when don't i we're almost we're almost a year into the the pandemic shutdown so i think we're getting a little loosey-goosey and that makes for entertainment (laughs) way to date this for the for future podcast listeners good job yes captain's log we are now we're now almost one year (laughs) star date 2021 um well this was totally fantastic uh Oh, I forgot to ask if you wanted to plug anything. If not, I'll cut this. And if so, um, go for it. <laughs> uh, yeah, if you're interested in following... Um, actually, I don't know. It feels kind of weird to plug my music on this thing where we've talked zero about it. 
Um, I mean, give, you can give everyone the overview of what you like to do. Sure. Uh, I've seen your Spotify. I'm a follower. Did you see that I followed you? I actually can't see who my followers are, but thank you. Well, I'm one of them. <laughs> I appreciate it. I like, I like, if you, yeah, if you want to follow me on, uh, I make music sometimes and I don't know what genres are, but I make things and people seem to enjoy them okay. Mm-hmm. Um, you can follow me at dead.inside.productions on Instagram or uh, that's the only place where that handle is currently operating <laughs> or you can search my name ellen Beiser, on any wherever you listen to your music and you can see some cool instrumentals and a couple of vocal numbers and mm-hmm. i don't know i'm trying to make more music and there will be hopefully new stuff out sometime soon ellen has a great voice when we met Thanks. we met at a, we met at an internship oh god ellen <laughs> which we won't go into but god. ellen Ellen was always walking around the office and singing, and it was usually Crazy Ex-Girlfriend, and that's how I knew she loved the show, but, <laughs> but Ellen has a very good voice, so you should, uh, she's a very musically inclined yeah. person, you should check out her stuff. Real talk, even, it was even, once everybody had left the office, and I was like, I don't want to drive home in traffic, so I'm going to stay here for an hour and belt <laughs> at the top of my lungs, because nobody can, nobody can stop me. <laughs> And that place had very good acoustics. I was actually quite impressed. It really did. <laughs> <laughs> well, be sure to follow Ellen. And if you guys are not following the podcast, please follow the podcast on Instagram at Unwatchable with Chloe Rodriguez. Uh, follow me on Instagram at Cuckoo for Cloclo Puffs. No, I will never change that embarrassing Instagram handle. Don't you and- <laughs> dare. And uh, we also have a Patreon for the podcast, uh, Unwatchable, on Patreon, if you guys want to give me money. That's it. (laughs) Um, We're just going to be honest about it. (laughs) Well, you get get two bonus episodes of Unwatchable a month if you guys sign up for Patreon. uh, And that's the best way to directly message me if you want to hear back from me. Uh, so that would it's also just a sexy thing to do, you know. It's also like you just... want to feel sexy. Donate money to an artist who needs it. Oh yeah, you're yeah. An, you're an insider, baby. Ins- oh. <laughs> you're gonna be. You're not gonna be. Oh god, I was like, but you're not gonna be inside her, baby. That's that's an exclusive. That's. Yeah, you have to sign up for the top tier of the <laughs> if you want that. That's my OnlyFans. <laughs> if this is ever played in the court of law, I was not advocating for prostitution. No, I was not. Uh, but we weren't necessarily advocating against it. Yeah. <laughs> also, sex workers deserve fucking good, better treatment than they currently have. That's a great place to leave our Valentine's Day episode. <laughs> Thank you, guys. In the spirit of love. <laughs> yes. Uh, Have a wonderful Valentine's Day, and I will see you guys next time. Bye!